This is John Halsman, and welcome to the Patrick Henry Podcast, where we try to hold the elite of the world's feet to the fire of accountability of a Jeffersonian and democratic nature. And boy, uh, little things that come up, little dots in our pointillist painting, make it clear how desperately we need more free speech and not less. My colleague and great friend J.L. Ryder wrote an excellent column yesterday for our newsletter, and I, I commend it to you about the notions of free speech being limited on college campuses and why woke authoritarianism, um, reminiscent of nothing so much as Mao's cultural revolution, inherently authoritarian, inherently dictatorial, get in the way of us making the world a better place by exposing mistakes and dealing with accountability. And uh, that's exactly where we are. And I'd like to broaden his argument because I thought it was so good. I thought it applied to where our kind of our worlds intersect and talk about why we need open debate over large policy questions from COVID to Ukraine to the banking crisis. Because in every case, we've had far too little debate, not too much. And I think a good rule of thumb, forget your politics, forget whether you're on the left or the right, forget whether you're inherently a social democrat or a Thatcherite as I am, uh, an Eisenhower realist, Jeffersonian as I am, or even a, God forbid, old-fashioned garden variety Wilsonian. I think there are a couple things that we have to agree on. One is that if anybody tells you that someone should be precluded from the debate, precluded from the narrative, that something they've said disqualifies them from further discussion, be very, very careful that that person is peddling you nothing so much as snake oil and that that's what's happening. And we can see this happening over and over and over again. Let's start with COVID. I sit here today, I'm about to play a war game, third one of the month uh, for GLL here at beautiful Lake Como, um, in one of the best hotels in the world, the Villa Dest, they've upgraded me to a suite. So I'm sitting in a mini palace. It looks like I'm a member of the, I'm a member of the House of Savoy during the Risorgimento in Italy in the late 19th century. And everything's going my way, to put it mildly. And as I sit here in this palace, looking out over this beautiful lake, I think how lucky I am to be here, but how few people have this opportunity. And when you add in COVID, Ukraine and the banking crisis you can see why. And so I thought this was an ideal place before I play the war game to talk to you. And as I said, I will always keep the community going, whether on the road or not, and we're on the road yet again. So COVID, what have we learned? Well, a number of studies have come out in the last few weeks. They're in the media, I will say this, but they're certainly not highlighted in the way they should be that show those of us who were skeptical about what governments were doing over COVID were absolutely right. And this is horrifying to me to be right. It's one of those times you wish you weren't right, but certainly I have been in our firm. I'm proud as pleased as punch and proud of them. We're on the money and being highly skeptical of the government's response to COVID in the Western world. We now learn that, yes, indeed, the United States, as I have been charging for two years, because, as you know, our researchers did the legwork um, and found out that, indeed, the United States was paying for gain-of-function research at the Wuhan lab in China that may well now have, and even the Biden people are grudgingly coming around to it with the Department of Energy and the FBI, that indeed COVID may have started at the Wuhan lab and that the United States was funding part of what was going on with the gain of function research. So yes, the United States might have been funding indirectly through Peter Daszak, 
Uh, they might have been funding gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab that caused the virus in the first place. And that's an extraordinary uh, vindication of the things that we were saying looking at facts. And that China's highly culpable, and this is obvious. Again, think of Law and & Order and Jack McCoy, my favorite crusading DA. As McCoy said, God gave you the gift of common sense. Use it. There's only one major grade five lab in the area that deals with COVID and bats. And it's in Wuhan. There are tens of thousands of wet markets in the world and hundreds, if not thousands, in China. Thousands of wet markets, one uh, plant where gain-of-function research is going on, one laboratory where this is happening. What are the odds it comes out of that laboratory? as left-wing comedian John Stewart got right very early on, and he was heavily criticized, and I think he should be taking a victory lap along with myself and very, very few others. So however Dr. Fauci plays moral gymnastics with his wording, and I can't wait for him to be subpoenaed and explain how this was not gain-of-function research when we all know that it was, the United States was indeed employing gain-of-function research and the paying for gain-of-function research in the Wuhan lab. And so this is point one. Point two that we've learned, the masks are dinner theater for grandma. The masks did almost nothing in study after study, be it Johns Hopkins, be it The Lancet. The masks that most people wear are for show. They did nothing to prevent the virus as I stated a number of times, seeing these reports early on when they were not discussed. And then thirdly, it's been made clear beyond Wuhan and beyond the masks that we've talked about, that natural immunity, as is always the case with viruses such as COVID, natural immunity is every bit as good, if not better. And it is, it's the, the, the studies show it is better than any of the vaccines out there. So the vaccines are a very, very limited efficacy, and yet our whole life was run around a green pass. I couldn't go or do anything without the government having a green pass, even though this did less than immunity. Okay, now what have we learned from all this? One, the United States government under the National Institutes of Health under Fauci has not been forthcoming, to put it mildly, about its role in funding the Wuhan lab where COVID may well have started. Two, the mass do nothing. It's dinner theater for grandma. And three, natural immunity is anybody who's ever studied viruses. And I have all the way back to the Black Death Forward, the Spanish flu. I've spent most of the last few years going over this with my staff, that natural immunity is better than any vaccine that comes out. And instead, what did we do? We, we hid this all under the rug. Anybody who disagreed with this was put in the pillory. Why? Why? Let's put it in the stocks and pillory. Why? Well, Dr. Fauci obviously had reasons we now know to try to shut things down after the Great Barrington Declaration was signed by a number of eminent scientists who, based on the data points that have now been vindicated and that I've been promoting for several years and have now been vindicated as well, and I am screaming a great big I told you so to Western elites who don't think for themselves but merely follow the herd. You know who you are at The Economist the FT, the Eurasia, the Eurasia Foundation, etc., my uh, competitors who really speak for the elite rather than thinking for themselves. And that's the problem. They speak for an elite. They don't think for themselves. They're important anthropologically, but not intellectually. And that's why they're wrong. 
all the time. That's why they were surprised about Iraq and surprised about Afghanistan, surprised about the financial crisis and surprised about Trump and surprised about Brexit, um, on and on and on. If you're wrong about everything, you simply don't understand the world, but they're playing a different game. They don't want to. They want to protect the interests of an elite. And that's why they're wrong. We're not playing the same game. I'm trying to be right, and they're trying to protect an elite, whether it's right or not. Very different game. And as we see with COVID, they were wrong about all these big points, that we did indeed fund gain-of-function research in the United States in the Wuhan lab, where COVID may indeed well have started from and where I think it did. Two, the bass are for grandma and dinner theater. They're nothing. Three, natural immunity is better than having vaccines. And yet without the vaccinations, you literally in Italy couldn't do anything. We had a health dictatorship. I couldn't go to places like the cinema. I couldn't go to a restaurant. I couldn't go into a shop without having my green pass predicated on a false medical reality. And that's bad enough. People are wrong. But the reason that they're wrong is the problem. The reason that people were wrong about COVID was that they didn't allow debate. Again, Fauci embarrassed that it would come out that he's funding the very pandemic that is now engulfing the world. And you can see why that might embarrass someone. That's more than a little career mistake. Sought to shut down the debate almost immediately. We now see in emails that have been released under the Freedom of Information Act, Fauci forced to release them kicking and screaming that after the Great Barrington Declaration, after scientists said correctly based on those data points, you know what needs to happen? The rest of the world needs to very simply go on with their lives, that the risks and the odds of this are that we go on, that if you're elderly and much more susceptible to getting COVID in a severe manner, dying from it or being debilitated by it, you should shelter. The rest of us should work to pay for you to shelter, and we should get on with our lives and wait for herd immunity to develop. And this was a shutdown immediately as an option, as barbaric, as not caring about people, as trying to murder people. Um, and Fauci knew that all this was absolute nonsense, but he didn't want to counter a narrative brewing. So very early on in the process, he and Francis Collins, his duplicitous sidekick, um, in a number of emails, shut down any alternate theory to COVID coming from animals. In other words, immediately magic away their involvement in funding the Wuhan lab indirectly through Peter Daszak. They magicked this away, and then he held every position possible before deciding on the health dictatorship one, which is masks, even though he knew better, and that this will be part of the reality that he has to live with. And so masks are great. And we're three of them, as he said at one point idiotically on TV, that the shots can't come fast enough from the vaccines, that everything should, that we should open up slowly, ruinously, as opposed to Governor DeSantis, who bravely kept Florida open in the face of criticism from everyone from Joe Biden to Donald Trump. Let's remember, Trump left Fauci in place. I mean, that's the way to go after Donald Trump, not over this soap opera nonsense, but over the fact that he made terrible decisions in staffing as a president, giving Fauci the power that he had and then leaving him in place and criticizing DeSantis for leaving Florida open when now all the facts are on DeSantis's side. Extraordinary, extraordinary incompetence of both of them. But Fauci is to blame for shutting down the debate about the nature of the pandemic, because if we looked at counter narratives and alternate theories and had a real discussion in the marketplace of ideas, 
as we're supposed to, rather than a panicked rush to all get in line like sheep, that Fauci's control would be lessened, that Fauci's uh, ability to manage the narrative, whether it be over Wuhan or over draconian members, dr draconian options for COVID would be limited. And so it's in his interest to shut the thing down, and he shuts it down very early on. And the, and the eminent scientists in the Great Barrington Declaration are hounded into silence that Twitter and big tech start taking people offline if they happen to disagree with this holy narrative that, in fact, rather than thinking this became a health dictatorship and worse, a quasi-religion with St. Fauci at its head. And if we didn't do what we said, we weren't just wrong. We weren't just disagreeing. We were heretics. We were heretics. We were outside of acceptable society. We should be discounted. I had people online saying, I hope you get COVID and die for merely questioning this common narrative about COVID that we now know to be wrong and me to be right, that I should die because I question this. This isn't reasoned debate. This is Maoist cultural revolution. This is hysteria. This is trying to limit debate because they don't want debate because it might point out that they're wrong. And that's what happened with COVID. So it's a bittersweet vindication. I'm more worried about his ability, which was successful, to curtail free speech right in front of us when it was desperately needed, as we now know, because the elite were yet again wrong. And they will continue to be wrong if no one can question them, if we can't argue through policy in the marketplace of ideas in a Jeffersonian manner, they will be wrong more and more often and debate will be lessened. And then the entire fabric of what we do here matters. I remember Fauci saying, and again, I don't know whether he's an idiot or absolutely truthful here, when he said, you know, we may have to do away with some of our individual liberties in this new age of pandemics. That's what this man thinks. I think he's the disease. I think he's the problem. I think the greater problem is limiting free speech when it is so desperately needed. Now let's look at Ukraine, another matter where, uh, again, debate has been stifled. It was fine early on, and again early on, I was entirely for funding Ukraine, and I still am. The idea that they would be eviscerated by the Russians uh, is something that was not in American interest, and that initial emergency funding for Ukraine was absolutely on the money and the right thing to do. So that was great. After that, though, giving them a blank check to the tune of $100 billion for what is laughably not a primary American interest. Meanwhile, the Chinese must be laughing themselves silly as we worry about the sixth order priority while not worrying about Taiwan and the Indo-Pacific, where all the world's risk and all the world's reward are, where the United States is vying with China for dominance in the region of the world with most of the world's future economic growth, the most important region in the world, and we're fiddling in Ukraine while Rome burns in Taiwan. And rather than have a debate about, <clears throat> excuse me, is Ukraine even a democracy? It was a badly run oligarchy, and, and uh, Zelensky was doing before the war precious little to change the very nature of the regime, which everyone knew was breathtakingly corrupt. It's not a capitalistic system. It's a corrupt oligarchy. Let's be clear. That still doesn't mean they should be overrun. They shouldn't be. And I was happy to be in favor of fronting them the money to survive. But a blank check for a sixth order priority is something we ought to talk about. And early on, almost no one did. Everyone in a knee-jerk way in the United States supported 
the Ukraine war. However, as time has gone on and the glaring contradictions about Ukraine have become more obvious, you're not winning a war when one-third of your economy has gone away, uh, one-fifth of your territory has gone away, and the United States is keeping the lights on and paying, I'm not kidding this, the pensions of your corrupt civil servants. That's what we're doing. We are keeping Ukraine going. We didn't agree to do this. And rather than any debate about this, if you even mention this possibility, people throw bricks at you. And yet the polls, the people are moving in this direction, as they finally did over COVID, though that took too long. They're moving more quickly over Ukraine. And in fact, now a major, a plurality, pardon me, a plurality of Republicans, the New Morning Consult poll has it at about 49% to 27 against, or um, think Ukraine is not a primary interest. And in a Washington Post poll in January, a plurality are against giving Ukraine any more money without it being accounted for very strictly. So Republican opinion is now descending from Biden's Wilsonian tilting at windmills, uh, worrying about Ukraine when the real threat, China, sits away while we fritter away our weapons. You, you are aware that we can only give weapon, we only produce so many weapons. Uh, we're so far down in javelins that it's been calculated by CSI as a well-respected think tank I used to work at, a center-left think tank, by the way, on Biden's side of the aisle. And they've said that it will take, in terms of the anti-tank missiles, the javelins, it will take anywhere from about five years to make up the difference in the number we've given to Ukraine and for Stinger missiles in the neighborhood of nine years. So we're giving them our background weaponry at the same time we're promising it to Taiwan and not delivering it there. So this is a direct reality and a direct result of our overestimation of Ukraine. And yet when Governor DeSantis merely mentioned this, that this is not a primary interest, that peace should be the goal, that we have limited interests in the war. Hysteria broke loose. How dare he broaden the debate? How dare we question what we're doing? How dare we think through whether it's a great idea to leave the territorial settlement to the people of Ukraine who want every single inch of Ukrainian territory? Of course they do. And that's fine. If I were a Ukrainian nationalist, I would want every inch of Ukrainian territory. But I'm not a Ukrainian nationalist. I'm an American nationalist. And to pretend that our interests are the same is lunacy. They are not. No two countries' interests are the same, however close. And we're not that close here. Ninety percent of Ukrainians, given their extraordinary suffering, understandably want back every single inch of Ukraine, including Crimea. And if they were to make room in Crimea, Putin could well use tactical nuclear weapons. Any American who's for that needs to get their head examined absolutely needs to get their head examined. It won't happen at the moment, certainly, thank God, but our interests are not the same, obviously. And to wait for Ukraine to set the terms by which the war comes to an end, when I'm paying for the lights in Kiev, when I'm paying for that awful shirt Zelensky constantly wears, as though he were some sort of wartime commando, this is ridiculous. It's our interests, our money, and we get to decide what it's used for. To even mention this is hysteria. You see the Wall Street Journal, the usual old uh, conservative establishment suspects, the Wall Street Journal. You see George Will, who I admire greatly, uh, but absolutely wrong about this. And he should know better, as he's a chronicler of the problems with Wilson, saying that if DeSantis questions the Ukrainian consensus, 
he's not fit to be president. In other words, if I question received elite opinion, I'm outside. I'm a heretic again. I'm Fauciized. I'm canceled. How dare we have a discussion in the marketplace of ideas? And yet we need ever so many more discussions because our elite makes mistake after mistake after mistake, be it COVID, be it Ukraine, be it over the bank bailouts at present. Every society has an elite. The question is, are they any good? The elite that got us with Franklin Roosevelt and Dwight Eisenhower and Harry Truman and into Kennedy that got us through the Depression in World War II, that was an elite that was worth something. Every elite is arrogant, self-regarding, thinks it's more important and valuable than it is. That's what elites do. However, that doesn't mean fundamentally that elites can't be forces for good or for ill, and that's how they should be judged. I have the revolutionary view that you should judge a policy and indeed a policymaker on his success rate, which is why my foes at Eurasia and some of the other uh, consulting firms we deal with who have, a, who have a hit rate of understanding the world, a call rate 30 points below ours, really should be taken to task. Because if we are not meritocratic in Republican government, we're doomed to fail. And we see this as the debate is narrowed. We fail with COVID. We fail with Ukraine. We fail with the banks. Surely this is becoming clearer and clearer and clearer. The reason for this failure is that we have less open debate, that if you question the received wisdom, it's not just that we disagree, but again, it's a received religion and you're a heretic and heretics need to be burned at the stake not disagreed with in a democratic tone. This is a form of authoritarianism, and authoritarianism is a far less efficient system than democratic governance. For all its messiness, I remain a proud Jeffersonian, mainly because it works, and ethically because the will of the people and the discussion of ideas should be everything. Thanks very much. Very happy to do this in a very busy day. Um, as both COVID and Ukraine show, we need more open debate, not less. Please do continue to subscribe. Thank you to so many who have. We're booming and we're grateful for it. That's why, as you know, our community is my priority. Wherever I am, even here on the beautiful shores of Lake Como, um, I do ask that you do subscribe. And for those of you that subscribe, please do give. We're only asking $70 a year to continue to be right, to continue to talk to you about Jeffersonian truths, and continue to try to broaden the debate. Thanks very much. Have a great weekend.